From Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors, this is The Legal Lounge. Here's your host, Amanda Jones. Hello and welcome to The Legal Lounge. I'm Amanda, and along with the lawyers and experts here at Lanyon Bowdler, I'm bringing you a series of podcasts that cover many aspects of law in England and Wales. It's our aim to show you that the law isn't scary, and neither are our lawyers. If you have a particular legal issue you'd like me to put to our specialists for an upcoming episode, please let me know by getting in touch through the website, lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. In this episode, we welcome financial planner Mike Williams from Bruin Dolphin, who joins private client solicitor Edward Rees. They'll be busting the jargon and talking about inheritance tax planning and financial well-being. They'll be making sense of the seven-year rule, gifting money, tapering, and will touch on trust funds. When financial planning, please consider that your capital is at risk. Tax legislation is subject to change and depends upon your personal circumstances. Mike, uh, you are a chartered financial planner. You're with Bruin Dolphin, uh, who are a firm of investment advisors. Traditionally, I suppose they were called stockbrokers. They're very well known to, to lots of people. Lots of people have heard of them. We've worked with Bruin Dolphin a lot over the years. As a chartered financial planner, because one of the purposes of today's discussion is to try and um, maybe break down uh, a bit of jargon. Uh, as a chartered financial planner, uh, what is it that you actually do? That sounds a bit like Mike. <laughs> sounds a bit like Alan Partridge. But as a, <laughs> what do as you a, do? Yeah, what do you actually <laughs> do, you do, do as a chartered financial for? planner? Okay. Um, well, I suppose just to give some context, a, a chartered financial planner is qualified to give advice on areas such as retirement planning, investments, uh, family protection, and then legacy and inheritance tax planning, which I guess we're going to spend most of our time talking about. But if I could really define my role, I'd say it's to listen and to ask questions. Um, most of my job is about really understanding what makes a, a client tick, what's really important to them about their own family circumstances, their financial ambitions and priority for them, their family, and also what kind of legacy they want to leave. And I mentioned those those four key areas, retirement, investments, family protection, and, and legacy planning. But really, they all overlap. People, I think, traditionally tended to think of those as one area and try to address that in isolation. But that's where you get into real danger of trying to address one thing, because if you just focus on one thing, something generally goes wrong in your plan somewhere else. So we like to focus on what we call holistic financial planning where you're dealing with everything now where you're dealing with those areas you tend to find there are lots of overlap and you end up sort of slightly treading on toes of other professionals and most particularly solicitors oh, I don't want to <laughs> come, come into conflict with the lawyers do you and the accountants um, but so where you find that you might be slightly straying into someone else's territory it's really important that you you work really closely with them and so that's what I spend most of my time doing but it's the listening and asking questions is the main thing so you spend a lot of time with uh, with, with the clients then uh, do you did you do, do a fact find uh, or how, how do you how do you go about it yes yeah, so you first first bit of jargon there I think yeah, no, oh fact, sorry <laughs> it's, it's fact find uh, do you know what I was at an event on on Saturday and I got pulled down for actually saying podcast because people didn't know what, what a podcast what a podcast was, was. Yes, so, yes, yeah yes. you have to be careful don't you you, yeah. you do so so a fact find is something I was yeah I would stray into that jargon myself all of the time but but yeah fact find is really asking lots of questions some of those are really bland and basic you know when were you born what's your full name and national insurance number but it's the really interesting stuff about what people want to do in retirement and how far away that is and what they would spend their spare time doing if they weren't doing whatever 
they were doing for you and what what would you spend your time doing when you retire and uh, stop being a solicitor i can't i can't think of life <laughs> uh, and do you know well, what that's well, the most common answer that's the, i haven't got time to think about it <laughs> it would all just close it would all fall apart it would all close down no i'd spend a lot of time listening to music i think you'll need money for a spotify subscription then or if yeah. you're a, into, into your vinyl and traditional methods of listening to music you'll need some money for that i'm sure you mentioned that overlap um mm. with, with with what we're doing and, and, and it's right, you know, you don't want to stray into other people's territory, tread on toes, that sort of thing. But it's important, isn't it, that we as professionals, we all work together. So we're very keen on working with the accountants and we're very keen on working uh, with you guys because this idea of protecting for the future, that's all we're trying to do. Are people frightened of planning because they think either, or well, you're asking me to try and predict these things and I can't know exactly what's going to happen and you're trying to get me to do that or or actually now you're asking me to think about things that I'd really rather not. I think it depends on the client, Edward, because we, we do very often find that there are clients that have lots of thoughts about what they want to do or they think they want to do and, and that will very often... It's just, in its most basic terms, it will be about making sure that they can help their family either now or in the future after after their deaths, for example. But it's getting them to make that decision as to whether they can do that, whether they should do that. And very often that will come down to, I guess, most of our clients have spent their lives and their careers saving, investing, planning for the future. Why do they do that? Because they have a fear of if the roof falls in tomorrow, that they need to know that there's a fund there for a rainy day, or that when they do come to stop working, that the money they've accumulated can last them through retirement. So they sometimes can find it difficult to see beyond their own retirement and have fears, particularly now as people live longer, but live longer not necessarily in in better health. There's often a worry about changing health circumstances in the future. If I help my family now and then my own health deteriorates, I need to go into residential care. Will I have enough money to be able to afford to do that? And, and notwithstanding, obviously, the recent announcements from the government about how they're going to help people to, to pay for their care, very often that's about personal choice because you're in that unfortunate position. It's not just about knowing that you can pay for it. It's paying for it at a place of your choosing and not the lowest common denominator. One thing that intrigues me a bit, because, again, we talked about Bruin Dolphin. It's, it's a fairly well-known, pretty large organisation, isn't it? And traditionally... Uh, you'd associate it with stockbroking, investment management, guys and ladies walking around in braces and shouting buy and sell. I'm sure it's not like that at all, but that's what some people might associate it with. Buy, buy, sell, sell. Um, but is that still how it how it works in part of the organisation or did it ever work like that? Uh, and is what you do different to that kind of traditional function? I think that is that traditional image of what stockbroking was and, and I guess in some cases still still is. Uh, in, a, in an office like ours in Shrewsbury but indeed in our offices in London we're about as far removed from that buy sell shouting across the trading floor as you could possibly be and you know I suppose a lot of trading now of course is done electronically so you're clicking buttons rather than shouting across a room and it's fair to say that the nature of stockbroking has changed a lot of that's due to regulation and so people regarded it that their stockbroker as someone who would ring them up and say you know all right I want to buy shares in this particular company I think this is a really good idea for you because x y and z are you happy for me to do that for you Edward and you'd say yes or no 
and that was regarded as what they called advisory dealing. Now, regulations changed that out of all recognition, and it's very much moved to what you would call discretionary investment management, which is where you as a client would place a huge amount of trust in, in, in your investment manager to say, well, here's my money, here's the amount of risk I, I can afford to take, which you would discuss and agree, and then your investment manager makes all the decisions and tells you about them afterwards. So it's much more advice-led rather than client-led. And side by side with that, with the complexity of you know, UK financial services regulation and the complexity of tax rules as they affect investments, pensions, inheritance tax planning. So the nature of an organisation like Bruin Dolphin has really changed. And so you know, if, you, if you wound the clock back 20 years ago, then Bruin Dolphin really didn't have any financial planners like me. Even mm-hmm. if you wound the clock back 10 or 12 years, there were a handful of financial planners like me, and, and now there are over 100. And, and the reason that's changed so much, is, as I say, is the role of the financial planner in that relationship is not to invest your money for you, because that's still done by the investment manager, but it's to tell you where that money is best placed to suit you. So where's most tax efficient? Where does it most help your long-term objectives? Earlier on in our conversation, you talked about there being four key areas uh, that people really looked at and one of those is IHT planning. Now I should say before going on in the spirit of busting jargon what IHT is for anybody who doesn't know we're talking about inheritance tax. So when you're looking at IHT planning with a client what's the sort of process that you'd go through with them? The first stage really is understanding the scale of the issue and the client's motivation to do something about it. So that is that you know that fact-finding process that uh, we, we, we chatted about which is understanding a bit about the client, their family, the scale of the assets that they that they own, um, and and therefore letting them know the scale of the inheritance tax liability, and you know, whether you want to go into specifics of that. But for uh, sort of inheritance tax, where you pay it is charged at forty percent of your assets. There are some exemptions, which I think we'll chat about a bit later. But but that's that that's what you're dealing with. Now, some clients will be faced with those scenarios and think, well, actually you know what, I've got nobody to leave it to or they're going to get enough anyway and therefore I don't want to do anything about it and the tax man can have it. For clients that... (laughs) (laughs) Are there many of those people? You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised, actually. But, um, you know, I'd, I'd say for every... 10 clients there's probably two out of 10 have take that attitude and the other eight horrified by the number you know the numbers on the calculator as to what their bill might be what can i do about it then mike and and what i how i would always start with inheritance tax planning always start simple because simple tends not to cost you anything and by costing you anything i mean you don't have to pay somebody like you or me edwards to advise you on it you don't want to be telling people But as we get into the detail of that, so what do I mean by what's the simple things first? They're not as simple as they might sound. The easiest way to get rid of inheritance tax liability is to spend all your money. Okay. Yeah. Now, that might sound quite appealing, but in practice, that's really difficult because it depends on the scale of your problem and it depends what you're going to spend it on. Because if you're going to buy anything, it has to be something that itself has no value. So if you do, oh, well, I'm going to buy that. Ferrari then. Okay, well, the Ferrari has a value. And in the current market, I understand vintage or prestige cars are actually increasing in value. So that just make your problem worse. You could spend it on a round-the-world cruise. uh, But I guess there are only so many of those you can go on. And over the past 18 months, 
there are none of those that you could go on. True. Or you could just carry on doing that for the rest of your life, but that would probably be cheaper than living in... <laughs> it probably would be. And, and there, there are some clients that do virtually live on cruise ships, yeah. or they did. But what most stops people from doing that is if you think back to the examples of clients I mentioned who'd spent all their life building up assets about planning for their future, all of a sudden then someone's telling them, right, you've got to go and spend it it's really hard to let go of all those instincts that you've had to build a reserve, a financial base, a safety net in the first place. So what else can you do? Well, well, the next stage, and if you, if you can't spend it or you can't spend enough of it, is to consider giving it away and giving it away now. And so, again, if lots of clients want to help their family or or somebody else, they can benefit the family by giving money away now. Now, there are certain restrictions that are in place for that. And and the first thing that probably comes up when you talk about that is the annual gifting allowance. And so if you give away each individual, so I could give away £3,000 each year without it having any impact on inheritance tax at all. So it's a £3,000 annual gifting allowance. Some people think that's all you can give away, uh-huh. but of course you can go much further. So you can, if anything you give away over £3,000, so larger gifts, is subject to what's called the seven-year rule. And that means if I, Edward, were to want to give you today, for example, I want to give you £50,000. I'm not going to, but let's say that I did. In order for that to fall completely outside of my estate and therefore not be subject to inheritance tax, I have to live seven years from today before it's no longer part of my estate. So this is the seven-year rule that people may have heard of. may have heard of. Yeah, okay. And and that's what it is. Right. Um, So I'm not restricted to 3,000. Yeah. I should give away what? What I can afford to give away or how do I know what I can afford to give away? Well, yeah, and that's the million dollar question because that that comes down to a couple of things. So that will come down to your own comfort levels. It will do, and that's comfort levels are to do with something I'll go on to talk about, um, about, you know, and that can often be about the, the recipient of the gift and how comfortable you feel with giving them large amounts of money. But then also it comes back to that thing I mentioned about, oh, hang on, if I give you all of this money, will I have enough to live on later on in life? Will it affect my ability to live my own life? Will it affect my ability to pay for my own care if that's what happens to me? As financial planners, then then a you know, tool we would increasingly use to help clients with those kind of decisions about how much can you afford to give away and still live your life is something called a lifetime cash flow modeler. You may have heard of that. I'm sure plenty of people on the podcast haven't. But the whole idea of that... So, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're going to explain. So that's a, yeah. like a gizmo that will It's It's help. a gizmo. Yeah, I suppose, you know, it's... It, it, Underneath all the fancy software, at its most basic form, it's a spreadsheet. So you plug into this gizmo all of your assets, all of your income, all of your current expenditure, all of your planned expenditure, and you can make that as granular as you want. So you can plug in your annual cruise to Barbados. You can plug in that you want to change the car every five years and what that would cost. You could plug in that your daughter's getting married in two years and that's going to cost you X amount of pounds. And then... You, you take all of what you've got now, if you have any assets, so, so invested assets, for example, we can project what they might return conservatively. We can also project what they might return if there's another market crash. And we work out how long you've got to live using life expectancy tables. And all of that comes out in graphical format and will tell you in a very simple, easy to understand way whether you can afford to give away that £50,000 now or not. Excellent. And if you can't... How much you could afford okay. to give away, and if you could afford to give fifty thousand, could you afford to do more? 
And this is often the hardest thing, I think, to understand for inheritance tax, because if we go right back to the start of the conversation, well, you tell someone what their inheritance tax liability is now, that's, of course, a fixed moment in time. Mm. And particularly if you have invested assets, the value next week will be different, let alone the value in the next five years or the next 20 years. And all of this can help you really understand what the size of the future problem is. You get a graphical representation of really you know, what, what you could afford and, and, and when you could do it. There are two things that I'd like to draw out from that. So, so if I don't make the seven years, has it all been a waste of time? <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> I, I obviously I can't predict uh, when I go, but if I don't make the seven years, was it all you know was worthless? It, was it was it all for nothing? Well, I think there's two things to think about there. There's a financial implication, but there's also that personal implication. And so, if you don't make the seven years, then of course you would have helped your family now. So you would have seen them have some benefit and some some enjoyment or some easing of their own financial situation from making that gift early. So that's the first thing. From a financial, I'm putting my financial hat back on then, I suppose it would depend how much you've given away. So one of the, the most commonly misunderstood aspects of inheritance tax planning and inheritance tax rules is the is the tapering rule and the tapering of gifts that you might have made oh, we're, we're into we're into the jargon <laughs> we're again into proper so, jargon pro- now, pro- aren't pro- we? proper we're jargon. really drilling down on the proper jargon, now. jargon here so so this is taper relief taper on relief. inheritance yes. tax okay yes. Yes. all right so this is when you haven't made the full seven years yes you've given that fifty thousand pounds yes. to me i didn't survive for seven years yes Sorry, you didn't survive for seven years. You're the one making the gift. Um, But you made it a certain amount of time, Mm. three years. And the common misperception out there is if I've made it three years, I don't remove that £50,000 from my inheritance tax cumulative total, but I get some relief. I don't have to pay as much inheritance tax on it. And that's not right, is it? That's not right. So in this example where I've given you £50,000 and then you've killed me off. Thanks for that. It's all right. Thank you. Um, Then in this example, I haven't used all of my, and we're going to go into more jargon now, my inheritance tax nil rate ban. So the nil rate ban is, so I have either at debt, I have a nil rate ban. So the first £325,000 of my estate will be exempt from inheritance tax when I pass away, ignoring another of the bans, but anything over that is taxed at 40%. Now, if I give you £50,000, and die within seven years of making that gift, all that happens to that £50,000 is it gets knocked off my £325,000 limit. So it forms part of that limit, and there is no taper after three years. Now, where the taper does apply, and I'm going to give you another example, but I'm going to keep it to nice round numbers so that I can do the maths. Please do. Late on a Monday <laughs> afternoon. In this new example, you okay, I've given you £425,000 now. Edward? I'm, I'm, I'm speechless. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm I, was fa- I almost <laughs> fell off my chair. Yes, so thank yes, you, Mike. Yeah. Again, once again, I'm not going to, but uh, in this example, I did. Um, and then I die and I, I, I pass away after three and a half years. Now, in this new example, of that £425,000 gift, the first £325,000 has used up my nil rate band. It's literally being taxed at nil, isn't it? It's taxed at nil. So there is no tax on the £325,000 of that gift. Anything over that, so the other £100,000 of the gift that I made you and everything else that I own is part of my taxable estate, that's going to be subject to inheritance tax. Now, because I lived for three and a half years, I do now get some tapering of the tax rate 
only on that £100,000 portion that's over the nil rate band. And the rate of tax on that comes down from 40% to 32%. So for larger gifts over and above the nil rate band, you do get some financial benefit as well as some personal benefit from that. That's really helpful, actually, because we come up time and time again against this conception that uh, I'll make it for three years and I get some yeah. benefit, but that isn't actually the You and the me case. both. It's yeah. the most common misconception that I come up against. Okay. And what I'm doing as we're talking as well is I'm ticking off, it's like buzzword bingo this, because we've already ticked off nil rate band we have uh taper relief so yes. uh, on my list of, of p- potential <laughs> jargon yes. type phrases uh we're, we're we're getting through them and and busting quite a, a good number of them okay the other thing that people sometimes have a concern about is well i'd like to give the money away and i think i can work out how much i can afford to give away but i i'm worried about giving £50,000 or I'm worried about giving 100000 or maybe more to my child or my grandchild because they're, well, they might not be very good with money or they're going through a rough time at the moment or I'm a bit worried about the state of their marriage. Do you come across that? All the time. And again, in, in, in your role as a professional advisor, I'm sure you hear it as well. You, you get parties with all sorts of family concerns or family secrets at times that uh, clearly remain completely confidential. Um, but I, I think those those are the ones you've touched on them there that, you know, it's very difficult to give away large sums to to minors or to children that you're, you're concerned about. And it could be those three things. You're concerned about their ability to manage their own finances. You have some concerns about the current state of their relationship or, you know, for again, over the past 18 months, I guess there will be lots of people who run businesses and you'd be concerned about giving them money and then those people falling into bankruptcy through a business failure, for example, and that money being swallowed up in, in repaying debts, that kind of thing. And that, and that's where, you know, some of you know, the you know, some of the line between financial planner and solicitor then starts to become blurred because then we get into possibly the use of trusts. How would a trust help? Because again, yeah. this is something that people have heard about. Yeah. It's not, I suppose it's not, a, it's not an acronym, is it? No. It's no. not really jargon. No. But um, people may have heard of a trust, but they may yes. not know exactly what, what it is or why you might why use you might it. Why you might use it. So, so why would you use a trust? So you, you'd use a trust if you want to establish really some sort of control and some sort of protection. So I would say it's control and protection. Now, there are different types of trusts, which I'm guessing you're far better qualified to talk about than me, really, Edward. But uh, but where we're talking about control and protection specifically, then we're talking really about discretionary trusts. Well, I'm too modest to talk to, obviously. <laughs> far too <laughs> modest to talk about uh, any knowledge that I have about anything. But yeah, you would. And if I can jump in on, on this, a discretionary trust is great because where you've talked about control and protection. Instead of this gift that we've talked about going out right to the child or the grandchild and the concern that they might just lose it all. Instead, you can get this seven-year clock ticking against your inheritance tax estate. So you're passing the capital out, but also you're not making an outright gift to the child or the grandchild. It's held for their benefit. It's not designed to prevent them from having access to it, but they don't necessarily have control over it. Um, And if they're at risk, uh, either because of potential bankruptcy or potential matrimonial issues, like we talked about, then 
they don't own this capital outright. It's held within a within a framework where they could benefit from it, but actually they don't control it. And it's only when the trustees determine now is the time when they're going to receive either capital or income that they actually get tangible benefit from it you know in their own pocket and very often you you've mentioned about the protection aspects there the the control aspect is then back to that point of i don't trust you not to spend this on something that i don't approve of or i think you might spend it all too quickly and not have real long-term benefit from it so if you want to buy a house with that money i've given you in theory edward that's fine um, if you want to use it to buy a Ferrari, I'm not so happy with that. <laughs> you, might, you know me. You know me too well. After just such a short conversation, you've already uh, you've already nailed what might be the the, the pressing issue here. With, with a gift into a trust, have you got the same seven year thing going on? Uh, is it still I've got to survive for seven years for it to fall out of my inheritance tax estate? In, in the broadest terms, yes. In the broadest terms, yes, 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 that's the case. Uh, so you do have to live for seven years to, to derive full benefit. Uh, there are certain tools available to a financial planner uh, for the right client that can get some of the assets outside of your estate now, but that's way beyond the scope of what we're going to talk about here okay, today. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to go into detail on that at all. Um, but in broad terms, yes, you've got to live seven years. Have I got uh, limits on this? Because this again is, is something that, you know, that comes up. How much can I gift into one of these trusts without causing issues? We're in different territory, aren't we, to the outright, outright gift? Yeah, we're in completely different territory. So, so we, we've talked mainly about discretionary trusts here. And so a discretionary trust, the main points are control, protection. And that control and protection comes with a, with a price from the tax man, um, unfortunately. So if I make a gift into trust of £325,000 or less, then there are no immediate liabilities to tax from that. It's treated in much the same way as making an outright gift. So now, Edward, because I've seen your eyes light up and I know you want to buy that Ferrari... <laughs> And and I want I'm putting four hundred and twenty five thousand pounds, but I'm doing it giving you four hundred and twenty five thousand pounds, but I'm putting it in a trust until you change your mind. Then, where that gift is now over the nil rate band, that three hundred and twenty five thousand, unfortunately, I'm going to have to pay some tax on that, or the trust is going to have to pay some tax on that because that's we're going to jargon busting again something called a chargeable lifetime transfer. Well, that, that's the reason why my eyes were lighting up. It wasn't because of the Ferrari. It was because I'd been able to tick some, another, another one, one off my piece, list. Piece of, of jargon. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So a chargeable lifetime transfer. Well, what, what does that mean? So so it's, the, the, I guess the clue's in the name. It's a chargeable transfer for tax purposes. So, so the whole £425,000 gift is taxable, but the first 325000 of it don't pay any tax on because using using up the nil rate band and then for the other hundred thousand pounds there would be some tax to pay at the lifetime inheritance tax rate which is 20 percent not 40 percent and that's immediate that's not waiting till i die that's 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 now now if i live for seven years after making that that gift into trust then there's no further tax on that hundred thousand it's just the 20 percent lifetime rate if i live for three and a half years as 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 before we've we've killed me off early again thank you very much then the the inheritance tax rate again is subject to tapering and and that tapered rate would be 32 percent but of course the trust already paid 20 percent of that up front so on my death there would be a further 12 percent of tax to pay on that next hundred thousand my experience with these kind of things is that most people if they're 
in this kind of territory, they're wanting to limit the value of the gift within the nil rate band. And uh, we have to be very careful about this because if we don't advise about this and if we take them over their threshold and they don't know exactly what they're doing, we've got a big problem on our hands. A, a huge, huge problem. And, and that, you know, that threshold, it, of course, because the inheritance tax nil rate band has not changed for so many years and indeed won't change again until 2026, over the last... I guess 14 years now, it's it's become really devalued. And so in the context of a lot of estates that, that you and I deal with, um, I, I guess there are a lot of people that would be seriously affected by chargeable lifetime transfer tax. Is there one final piece of advice that you would give to, to clients when you're going through this process? I think if you're talking legacy planning, then it would be to review your will on a regular basis. Um, many people have never made one. Many people have made one years and years ago and since then rules have changed regulations have changed and family circumstances change and there's been nothing worse from a legacy planning perspective than finding out that none of your wishes were carried out even if you think you've done the best will in the world (laughs) um, you should come back to it every so often Uh, and really you shouldn't leave it for more than say five years before coming back and reviewing it so uh, i think the, the lesson from today has been planning is is everything isn't it absolutely everything Thanks to special guest Mike Williams from Bruin Dolphin and to Edward Rees for lending his expertise. More proof that lawyers don't bite. If you have a particular legal issue you'd like me to put to our specialist for an upcoming episode, please let us know by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show and find any of the conversations interesting or helpful, please remember to use your podcast app to follow The Legal Lounge so that you never miss an episode. That was The Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors. Visit lblaw.co.uk slash podcast for helpful resources. And please do follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode.